The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Wake up, everyone. It's time for the Steve Noble Show, where biblical Christianity meets the everyday issues of life in your home, at work, and even in politics. Steve is an ordinary man who believes in an extraordinary God. And on his show, there's plenty of grace and lots of truth, but no sacred cows. Call Steve now at 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Or check him out online at thestevenobleshow.com. And now, here's your host, Steve Noble. Well, I am back, so to speak, in case you were were wondering where I was the last couple of days. I was supposed to be in Nashville, Tennessee, visiting with uh, Andy Irwin and the Kingdom Story folks down there. Uh, Andy and John Irwin, the filmmakers, Ordinary Angels, coming out in October. Jesus Revolution, obviously, was a smash hit, came out uh, uh, a little while ago. Uh, earlier this year, but uh, I had a bum back, and so I've been stuck at home for the last couple of days, but things are getting better. Hopefully, I'll be in the studio tomorrow for Theology Thursday. It's going to be a great conversation, by the way, tomorrow. We're going to be talking about something that you hear out there a lot, especially on the mainstream media, Christian nationalism. What does that mean, and can you make a biblical case for it? So we're going to do Theology Thursday tomorrow for that. If you notice my voice is a little off, that's just because rest and not resting and not feeling great. Anyway, uh, it's good to be here. And and I want to talk about several things today. We'll do a little Money Monday update at the end of the show with David Fisher. Uh, we'll do a Money Monday update on a Wednesday, and that's just the way it goes sometimes. And I want to talk about uh, Donald Trump. Looks like he's going to be indicted again. Some activities of him, of his down in Georgia, Georgia Supreme Court kind of uh, rejected him on some stuff down there. I want to touch on that. Big issue today up on Capitol Hill with whistleblower X revealing his identity uh, as an interesting IRS, a gay Democrat IRS agent. Uh, so they can't exactly bash him as a conservative whack job. I want to talk about that uh, gender. Uh, what else? There's another one. Oh, the, the huge decision. You probably heard about this just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Missouri versus Biden. Judge Terry Doherty talking about. All the suppression of information and opinion back during COVID was one of the greatest attacks on free speech in American history. A great uh, a little blog piece out of Heritage Foundation by one of their younger writers, Abby Carr. That's excellent. I want to get to that. But before I, I go down that road, I just wanted to share with you, uh, you, you probably wouldn't know who if I am if it weren't for the uh, Epperson family in Winston-Salem. Stu Epperson Jr., of course, is the... Uh, founder and chairman of Truth Radio Network. Many of you listen to me on the Truth Radio Network. He got that uh, that ability, that itch, that uh, personality, everything else. He got it from his dad, who we call Big Stu. They're both like six, seven. So they're huge men. Uh, but Big Stu at, uh, I think he was 88 years of age, went to be with the Lord Sunday night, died uh, peacefully in his sleep. And uh, he was just a giant in the in the world of Christian media. It really cannot be overstated, his impact uh, on the world of Christian media. I mean, just a few. I put up a link earlier today on Facebook, so go check that out if you get a minute. Uh, the actual obituary and then a story in the, in the local paper there in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Uh, it, it's just what an amazing, amazing life. Certainly this man heard well done, good and faithful servant. He was the chairman and co-founder of Salem media group. Uh, they had over a hundred radio stations, including 67 stations in all the top 25 markets. When you read through all this, like his business accomplishments are mind boggling. 
Uh, it was back in 2005. He was named by Time, Time Magazine one of the 25 most influential evangelicals in America. In America, that's actually when I met him in 2005. You go on to reading that, and Mr. Epperson would always share the gospel. He did a lot of work in Section 8 housing there at Winston Salem. The guy uh, lived and breathed uh, his calling as a Christian in, in the gospel and the Great Commission. It was really amazing to, to watch. And with all of his accolades and all of his success and all of his notoriety, you would never know that. <clears throat> if you met Stu Epperson at a Dario or something, Stu Epperson Sr., Big Stu as we call him, uh, you would never guess. You would just think that he was this really sweet and uh, incredibly engaging gospel-focused, Holy Spirit-filled, wonderful Christian man, you would never guess he was as successful as he had been. Uh, and, and, he, and that was just an amazing thing about him. He's just this kind of a gentle giant, very soft-spoken, funny. Uh, obviously, at 6'7", he's got a physical presence, but, but he didn't wear his success on his sleeve. He didn't, he didn't lord that over anybody. You wouldn't have even known about it. Uh, he would have wanted you to know about Jesus, not about his success. So, so I met him in 2005. I was actually driving up to Washington, D.C. as a guest of this thing called the Council for National Policy. That's when little Stu, Stu Jr., Truth Radio Network, called me. He got my number from a, a member of my uh, board at the time because Stu, little Stu had just bought the station, the AM station, at 1030 a.m., in Raleigh. And I had a big email list and worked with a lot of churches and pastors because of all the activism stuff we were doing. And little Stu called me on my way up to DC and he's like, Hey, you got time to talk. He talks about a million miles an hour. And, uh, and I said, yeah, I'm driving up to DC. Oh, what are you going up there for? I'm going, I got invited this thing. Uh, Christian political thing, council for national policy. Oh, you're kidding me. You'll meet my parents. will be there tonight. Make sure you introduce yourself. Big Stu and Nancy. She's got big red hair and Big Stu, everybody knows Big Stu, just ask for him. And literally, I sat next to them uh, at the table next to theirs that night at dinner. And that's when I first met Big Stu Epperson. And that, that I got into a world at that point. Remember, I had just been a house painter. And so through activism and stuff, things just got crazy fast starting in 2004. But when I met him, and then he was interested in what I was doing, as, as was his son, Little Stu. And so we just started a relationship. And uh, as we went through the Harvest Crusades with Greg Laurie, which we did here in the summer of 2007, Big and Little Stu were both uh, encouraging me, Steve, you should really be on the radio. They had heard me speak at Harvest Crusade events and pastors events, and they were like, you, you need to be on the radio. And, uh, and that's how that started in November of 2007 was at the encouragement of Little Stu, but especially Big Stu. Big Stu is a legend, a broadcasting legend in Christian media. And to have that kind of support and that kind of encouragement, uh, you know, I, I was just like, I, I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I'm going to trust you because you guys know what you're doing, and I don't. And uh, and, and so from that point on, uh, Big Stu, whenever I would see him, how's the show going? What's going on? What are you working on? What, how you doing with uh, uh, support and advertisers? And, you know, I, he, he's a big player. You know, Salem's a big player. He gets all the big guys on there. Uh, Hugh Hewitt, Dennis Prager, all those kind of guys. <clears throat> and and I'm not. But yet that never mattered to Big Stu. He always treated me as a fellow Christian uh, with respect and encouragement. He always encouraged me. He was always kind and generous. And, uh, and we lost an amazing man uh, Sunday night in Christian media, in the Christian church at large. Really an amazing man with an amazing legacy. Pray for his wife, Nancy. Pray for his four kids. They had like, I think he's got like 21 or 24 grandchildren, a great grandchild, a couple more on the way. And if it weren't for Big Stu, 
uh, you probably wouldn't know who I am. So praise the Lord. Thank you, Father, for giving us a man like Big Stu. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show. I'll be right back. Welcome back at Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show, live from Casa del Noble today. I'm at home uh, just recovering from some back issues. Anyway, hopefully I'll be back in the studio tomorrow. That's why my voice probably sounds a little off, but I'll be back in the studio tomorrow. A great Theology Thursday tomorrow you don't want to miss with our friends at BJU Seminary. We're going to be talking about a hot-button issue, a hot-button topic that I don't know how many people actually understand, Christian nationalism. It's a term that gets thrown around a lot, especially by the mainstream media and the left. Uh, If you're a Christian that uh, prays for and engages the state of the nation, I guess you're a Christian nationalist. But there are people that actually are Christian nationalists. And uh, what do you do with that? Uh, Theologically, I don't care what you do with it politically. I don't care what you do with it personally. The thing that drives all of that should be, what do we do with it theologically? So we'll talk about that tomorrow on Theology Thursday. Uh, Going on today in Washington, D.C., up on the Hill, I was just watching a little bit of it. It's still going on. started at about 1 o'clock. They have the House Oversight Committee with the other whistleblower at the IRS who was not going to reveal his identity. At least that's what we were told at first. But now he has. So this is Joseph Ziegler is his name. And both guys are there testifying right now uh, up on the hill. So this uh, water hopefully is getting hotter with respect to not only Hunter Biden, but with his father, the big guy, and the rest of the Biden family, the Biden crime family, as it appears. So this is from uh, just an overview article in that the identity of the, the, the anonymous IRS whistleblower alleging political misconduct throughout the Hunter Biden investigation has been revealed as Special Agent Joseph Ziegler, get this, a gay Democrat with more than a dozen years serving within the agency's criminal investigative division. So they cannot paint him as just some lackey for the Republicans or some conservative wacko, right? He's a gay Democrat who actually came out and said that he, he wants to be a good example for his community. So good luck uh, tearing into him. Ziegler appeared for the first time publicly before the House Oversight Committee that was today, alongside his IRS supervisor, Gary Shapley, who also was a whistleblower. He said he has uh, a 13-year special agent within the U.S. IRS's Criminal Investigation Division and described himself as a gay Democrat married to a man. Ziegler is expected to testify that Hunter Biden should have been charged with tax felony and not only the tax misdemeanor charge and that communications and text messages reviewed by the investigators may be a contradiction to what President Biden was saying about not being involved in Hunter's overseas business dealings. This is so murky. And the appearance of guilt is all over the place. He's expected to explain the corrosion of ethical standards and the abuse of power that threaten our nation that he has witnessed. Ziegler is also expected to testify in several instances in which prosecutors did not follow the ordinary process, slow walked the investigation, and put in place unnecessary approvals and roadblocks from effectively and efficiently investigating the case. Of course. Ziegler is also expected to ask Congress and the Biden administration to consider a special counsel for the Hunter Biden investigation and quote all the related cases and spinoff investigations that have come forward from this investigation. He's expected to testify that Congress should consider establishing an official channel for federal investigators to pull the emergency cord and raise the issue of the appointment of a special counsel for consideration by our senior officials. Shapley, who's the other whistleblower, 
participated in multiple media interviews since the House Ways and Means Committee. He released his transcribed interview last month. He's going to be testifying. They're expecting that he had, uh, the prosecutors has decided to conceal some evidence from the investigators, so that makes it even worse. Shapley is also expected to say that the Delaware U.S. Attorney's Office slow walk steps like conducting interviews, serving document requests, and pursuing physical search warrants in California, Virginia, and the beach house there in Delaware until after the 2020 presidential election. Doesn't this all just fit in with the narrative that we've been reading in real time for the past four years? Doesn't it? It certainly does. The Department of Justice, the FBI, they are so given over. They are so corrupt. And they're protecting their own. It doesn't matter what the Constitution says. It doesn't matter what the law says. It doesn't matter that they all swore an oath when they began serving in the Department of Justice. The only thing that matters is their political power. And they're obviously answering to somebody, which would be the guy at the top. I think first Obama and now Biden. That's just the deal. And so that's all happening today. So keep your eyes out. Keep your eyes open for what's going on there because that's a big deal. And hopefully, please, Lord, just pray for justice. That's what we all need to be praying for with this mess is justice, that the truth comes out and that justice would be done up there in Washington, D.C. Because if all these things are true, and I'm afraid they are, we don't live in a representative republic anymore. We live in something else. It's deteriorating. Uh, and it's heading towards tyranny, and I'll get to that in that excellent article that I want to uh, share with you that uh, a young woman at the Heritage Foundation uh, wrote, uh, which is excellent. I'm going to get to that. <clears throat> but on the Trump side, I mentioned that. So here's from his uh, Truth Social. He put this statement out. Wow, on Sunday night while I was with my family having just arrived, and this is typical Trump, so I'm going to try to edit here on the fly. Having just arrived from the turning point event in Florida where I won the straw poll, blah, 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 with all polls showing me leading the Republican primary, blah, 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 blah. Uh, obviously, I will be the Republican nominee for president. And as I'm leading Democrat Joe Biden in the polls by a lot, horrifying news, all caps, for our country was given to me by my attorneys. Deranged Jack Smith, the prosecutor with Joe Biden's Department of Justice, sent a letter, again, it was Sunday night, stating that I am a target all caps, of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment. So now Joe Biden's attorney general, Merrick Garland, who I turned down for the United States Supreme Court, together with Joe Biden's Department of Injustice, have effectively issued a third indictment and arrest of Joe Biden's number one political opponent, who is largely dominating him in the race for the presidency. Nothing like this has ever happened in our country before or even close. And that's definitely true. They illegally spied on my campaign, attacked me with a totally fake dossier that was funded by Hillary Clinton's campaign and the DNC. Yep. Impeached me twice. Yep. They failed on the Mueller witch hunt. No collusion. They failed on the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, the 51 intelligence agents fraud, the FBI Twitter files, so on and so forth. Okay. This, all caps, this witch hunt is all about election interference and a complete and total political weaponization of law enforcement. It is a very sad and dark period for our nation. <clears throat> and I would agree with them and all of that. The question becomes, uh, does it matter? Will it matter? He'll be indicted a third time. And then again, uh, he tried something down in Georgia because there's an investigation going on down there. Remember the perfect phone call when he told the governor, find me 10,000 votes? Which, of course, if you're on the left, you say, see, there you go. He asked him to manufacture 10,000 votes. That's not what he said. And we and there was a, a strong uh, belief that seemed to be corroborated that votes were being hidden, thrown out, and the whole thing was being uh, messed around with. And so he, I think what he really meant, 
it's my guess, is go find the 10,000 votes that I got that they hid. Go find those. But that's not the way the cookie's crumbling right now. So they tried a little end run down there with Trump and his attorneys, and, and the Georgia Supreme Court rejected that. So that uh, is going on. The January 6th stuff, there's a lot happening. The question is, does it matter? Let's say he's indicted four times. They're not going to lock him up before uh, <clears throat> the election in November of next year. I, I can't imagine that's going to happen. And they and it's just like impeachment. Even if they knew they were going to lose, they were going to do it anyway. That's Trump derangement syndrome, definitely, without a, without a question. So will it matter? Uh, it's charging up his base, obviously. His poll numbers are doing well. But an interesting poll out of New Hampshire, uh, I saw this from my buddy Steve Dace at The Blaze, a New Hampshire poll among voters with children and households. And that's a totally different story for Donald Trump. An interesting angle there, which I want to talk about relative to this news and the indictments. Will it matter in the end? Which is really all that matters anyway. This is Steve Noble. I'll be right back. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, The Steve Noble Show. Good to be with you today. Radio only. Hopefully be back in the studio tomorrow for our Facebook and Rumble friends. So I'll be back in the studio tomorrow for for Theology Thursday. Should be a great conversation about Christian nationalism. I'm sure you've heard that phrase before. What does it mean? And how is it being used? And what do you do with that theologically? What is our proper relationship to the state to the United States of America, to your state government, to your local government. What is our proper relationship with how we view it? Uh, God in the garden instituted three basic institutions. He had the family, right? He had the family, he had the church, and he had government. That was all started early on in the book of Genesis. And so how do we deal with that relationship between us as individual believers of the church and the government? So that'll be a great conversation, an important conversation tomorrow, especially because Christian nationalism is one of those phrases that you have to understand what it means. And they got to unpack that. It takes some nuance in these crazy days. Just like asking the question, is America a Christian nation? It depends on what you mean by the question. And so we'll uh, we'll dive into that tomorrow on Theology Thursday. So, again, back to this story with the uh, two IRS whistleblowers, one being a gay Democrat, uh, quote unquote, married man who wants to be a good example to his community. And uh, they're both speaking out uh, in no uncertain terms about the corruption at the Department of Justice via the FBI and their investigations of Hunter Biden. So we're going to keep an eye on that. The big challenge here is uh, the Department of Justice, the executive branch of the federal government, utilizing its massive power to affect political ends. That is not what the Department of Justice is for. The Department of Justice is like should be viewed like the uh, judicial branch. The judicial branch's job is to interpret and apply the U.S. Constitution to the legal system. The Department of Justice takes our system of laws and applies it allegedly uh, fairly and equally to whatever comes before them. Their job is not to be political, to favor one party or the other. So if it's a Republican Department of Justice doing it, they're wrong. If it's a Democrat Department, Department of Justice doing it, they're wrong. They're not there to be political operatives. They're there to enforce the law as determined by the U.S. Constitution and the legislative bodies at the federal and state level. Okay, that's what they're there for. 
But that's obviously not the case anymore. And you can go all the way back to McCarthyism and things along those lines when you see the federal government starting to flex its muscles against its own people. And that's the fear that, that we're seeing up in the Department of Justice, and that's why we need to be praying to the Lord for truth and justice to flow like a river out of all these investigations, out of these whistleblowers. Pray for them. Pray for their protection. Pray for these men who are, are they were just asked, I was watching part of the proceedings on the last commercial break, and the uh, congressman was asking them, is the reason, you took an oath, right, sir? And they're both like, yeah, we took an oath. Is the reason you're speaking up on these issues is because of that oath, because you have an allegiance to the country above any political pressure inside the FBI, whatever, however he phrased that. And they both said, yes, sir. And that's the deal. That's what they're supposed to do. That's, they're supposed to be about the law, the rule of law in the U.S. Constitution, not political will or politics. But you've got, when you start looking like Christopher Ray, people like Merrick Garland, these are people that are political appointees, okay? They have to get confirmed by the Senate, but they're political appointees. And of course, Trump's going to hire guys and gals that align with him politically, and so would a Democrat. And that's fine. But once you get into that office, you work in the executive branch, you work in the White House, the White House executive offices, okay, you're a partisan, 100%. That's the deal. But when you're in the Department of Justice, you're not a partisan. You're just supposed to be an American. And so the elites continue to just run the show here. And uh, it reminds me of Stalin's right-hand guy. So you had Marx, Karl Marx, and then Lenin, and then Stalin. Stalin's really the enforcer. Okay, Lenin dies, Stalin takes over. Stalin's the enforcer, and, and one of Stalin's top enforcers, when he took over Russia, said, you show me the man, I'll show you the crime. It, it, forget reality. Just show me the target. Who is it? And we'll deal with him. We'll come up with a crime so it makes it look legitimate. We'll use the power of the state, and that baptizes the whole thing, which is exactly what you, we have been watching since uh, Donald Trump walked down an escalator several years ago, right, and before that. And if you want a good example of how the elite uh, do as I say, not as I do, I just happened to notice this one in the Daily Wire. $69 million in looted artifacts seized from a Met trustee, including some on loan to the museum. So that was a trustee. Okay, they talk about the elite at the Met, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. Shelby White, an 84-year-old emeritus trustee of the Met, has had 71 looted artifacts seized from her Manhattan apartment over the past two years. An additional 17 artifacts she loaned to the museum have also been seized under the suspicion of them being stolen. Oops. If you're on the board at the Met, you're in the elite of the elite. They just live a different life. It's like a lot of people in Hollywood and big stars and the ultra wealthy. And a lot of those people are in charge of the government today. I know it sounds wacky, doesn't it? Like, like I'm Glenn Beck eight years ago or something. No, I mean, this is just the reality. Should we be worried about Marxism? Of course. Corporatism is way more dangerous. That's the marriage of the biggest corporations in the world and political leaders, the most, and, and foundation owners and people like George Soros. And that's the world economic forum and the great reset. And so that's real. And they live in a totally different world than you do. Totally different world than I do. And that we're on the road to tyranny. There's no question about it. And I was having a conversation with somebody recently who is not a Christian, kind of an agnostic. And uh, he was talking about the condition of the world. And I I was showing him about our debt in this country and how do you deal with that eventually. Maybe we have to merge with some other countries. Like we merge with Canada and Mexico in order to spread out our 
debt problem and increase our revenue problem. Maybe we can get our way out of it. And he's like, yeah, well, that seems to make some sense. I said, okay. Interesting. The Bible does tell us that in end times before Jesus comes back, this whole thing's going to be whittled down to 10 kingdoms. Uh, oh yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that interesting? So pay attention, but make sure you're watching through biblical eyes. A federal court just handed Biden's ministry of truth, a big defeat. This was the young writer at the Heritage Foundation, in a landmark decision that should have all Americans cheering, a Louisiana federal court recently upheld the First Amendment right to speak without being censored by the government. Judge Terry Doherty said the case, Missouri versus Biden, arguably involves the most massive attack against free speech in United States history. That's why you need to know this story. This broke a couple weeks ago. Judge Doherty issued a preliminary injunction forbidding numerous federal agencies, including the FBI, the Justice Department, the Department of Homeland Security, as well as many individuals with the executive branch, like Press Secretary Corinne Jean-Pierre Van Damme, from communicating or meeting with social media companies for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech posted on social media platforms. Sound familiar? A three-judge panel of the U.S. Uh, Circuit Court of Appeals has issued a temporary stay on Judge Doherty's injunction while the case is on appeal before the Fifth Circuit. So uh, pray for that. Missouri and Louisiana, alongside five individual plaintiffs, in, including Jim Hoft, who runs the Gateway Pundit, and two infectious disease epidemiologists, challenged the alleged collusion of the Biden administration with social media platforms like Twitter and Facebook. Right? That they went after him. Praise the Lord. The court's ruling underscores the importance of safeguarding our First Amendment rights to free speech and freedom of expression in a time when advances in technology make it even easier for the government to suppress speech it disagrees with on numerous issues. Disagreements that this government tried to justify by labeling it as, we all know this word, right? Misinformation. That's exactly what the Chinese Communist government has become expert in. Judge Doherty's 155-page opinion has page after page after page detailing the extensive meetings, emails, and other communications between government officials badgering and threatening social media executives to censor and close accounts. They were engaging in viewpoint discrimination, a direct and blatant violation of the First Amendment. And according to Judge Doherty, quote, virtually all of the free speech suppressed was conservative free speech. Did you hear that? While the First Amendment normally only applies to the government and not private parties like Twitter and Facebook, these social media platforms essentially became agents of the government. Therein lies the rub. Through them, the government used its, quote, coercive power or exercised such significant encouragement that the private party's choice to censor must be deemed to be that of the government. The result was the suppression of millions of protected free speech postings by American citizens. Judge Doherty concluded that substantial evidence of the government's extensive widespread coercive behavior depicts an almost dystopian scenario in which the United States government seems to have assumed a role similar to an Orwellian ministry of truth. The fact that the Biden administration has appealed this decision should enrage the American public. Yet, the Biden administration says this injunction should be overturned so it can promote responsible actions to protect public safety, public health, public safety, and security. Blah, blah, blah. A refresher on the sordid history of the federal government's free speech abuses, and specifically the FBI's, is in order. And then this article she points to how they went after Martin Luther King Jr. Government bureaucracies in the Biden administration cannot be trusted. And the court should keep this injunction in place. The administration has chosen to defend unconstitutional actions, mirroring that of an Orwellian dystopia to censor lawful speech in the name of public health, safety, and security. But only as they determine what is the truth, right? That, she writes, is the road to tyranny. And she's exactly right. It's happening right underneath our noses. That's why I talk about this stuff all the time in my classes with teenagers. 
whether it's U.S. history, world history, civics, or Christian ethics, that's NobleUSchool.com if you have children or grandchildren. In 8th to 12th grades, I want to teach them the truth. NobleU, as in the letter U, NobleUSchool.com. I'll be right back with David Fisher. Welcome back. It's Steve Noble, the Steve Noble Show. Great to be with you. We're going to do a little Money Monday update on a Wednesday. I always appreciate the flexibility of my dear brother, David Fisher, from Landmark Capital, LandmarkGold.com. David, thanks for being flexible once again this week, pal. How are you? I'm doing good. I hope you're feeling better, my friend. I am uh, on the mend. I'm feeling uh, a bit better, and and the the Lord is... uh, being faithful as he always is, you know what that's like when you're dealing with your health. But I'm just sitting here uh, by our fireplace. I can see a cat. I can see my father-in-law. <laughs> so I'm uh, doing the show from at home, but I appreciate you and your flexibility. It's good to hear your voice. Absolutely. Uh, let, let's uh, Before we dive into everything today, uh, once again, what a great passage of Scripture uh, Habakkuk, which a lot of people don't know that they don't know how to say it. They don't know how to spell it, but it's a powerful little book. And, uh, this is just a great passage of scripture. So we'll start there and then we'll dive into these big issues. Yeah. The book of Habakkuk, uh, chapter three, verse 17 and 18 says, though the fig tree does not bud and there is no grapes, there are no grapes, excuse me, on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the field produce no food, there are Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet, verse 18, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God, my Savior. So talk about destitute. Talk about um, lack of provision. I mean, if you look at this as talking about, you know, these are common things. Fig, figs were used as yep. the main staple. Grapes were, you know, used to make wine and other things. Things, um, olive was for oil, and they also ate olives. Uh, there's no no um, protein, sheep uh, or cattle. So, um, in other words, even though that was so desolate time, the people of God still said, "I will be not just God will be my savior, but I will choose to be joyful." Mm. So, an attitude creates altitude here. Um, we all will have challenges, but I think God is looking at our heart. How do we respond to that challenge when we go through it? And a joyful spirit can receive mercy and grace, yet a spirit that's not uh, that way and is discontent usually we can't see the blessings of God, what he's trying to show us during those times. So it's all about our spirit and his faithfulness trying to work in our lives so we can resist that, that uh, genuine spirit of the Lord. That's right, and that's where joy is such a beautiful thing. It doesn't matter what's going on with your heart. It doesn't matter what's going on with your back. It doesn't matter what's going on with your finances, your family, or anything else. That's the joy of the Lord, which supersedes and rises above all that. I love that attitude uh, affects your altitude, and it's so true. And That's why it's such a great, timely message uh, for me, dealing with this stupid back stuff for the last several days. But, of course, you and, and the journey you've been on with your heart condition and what the Lord's done in your life, it's just such a great reminder. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. So if you're in a pit right now, that's the attitude you need to take. Yet, even though, I will rejoice in the Lord. Such a powerful one. Thanks for that, David. Well, I'm looking at... Uh, Stocks have looked uh, pretty good for the last few weeks. I mean, I'm on July 3rd, the first day of trading for the month. It was at 34,383. 
today closed at thirty five zero six one. So the the month, the last couple of weeks have done you know fairly well. Uh, analysts are saying it might be a time to exit with some funds, take your take your winnings and get out. Uh, what's going on with this? So we had eight straight days where the Dow's went up, and that's what the terminology is. Just the foundation for another major run or is this the time to take some money and run first of all and foremost i'm not advocating i'm against stocks at all and i'm not telling you to take all your money out of the stock market right i'm not a financial advisor what i am saying is be careful and be diversified let's take me out of the picture goldman sachs trader says enjoy the stock market while it lasts the 2024 u.s political cycle will be chaos referring to it's going to affect the market uh, Jim Grant, a financial commentator, investment guru, and a CNBC commentator, he thinks we're in the beginning of a long-term trend in the week in the bond market because of high interest rates could last decades, he's saying. Uh, so this is not a blip at you know 5% interest rate. Yeah. He's saying it's going to be here for some time. He says something's going to break, just a matter of time. They're showing signs of cracks in the economy called the bubble. Uh, let's... It's, uh, there's another guy, Michael Leobotes. He uh, runs a company called realinvestmentadvice.com. He's a stock uh, uh, pro, and he is saying the times are changing now. And he is saying because of government deficits being as high as they are, uh, you're going to see taxes going up. When taxes going up, there's no other way to fix the deficit problem. Um, you're going to see that being hard on companies, which will cause a change in the market. And he cites a Federal Reserve white paper. So here's what the Federal Reserve says about this market. Quote, it may be tempting to assume that the exceptional stock market performance over the last three decades will continue indefinitely. The anal- analysis, however, indicates otherwise both stock returns and corporate profit growth are very likely to be substantially lower in the future. Yeah, that's eye, that's eye-opening, especially given the source. And just as an anecdotal thing, uh, both our our oldest son and our oldest daughter are both uh, uh, paying attention to the job market, them and their friends. And there's not a lot out there. There's a, there's a lot of cuts going on. There's a lot of pullback. Not a lot of opportunity, yep. and they're dealing with kind of the big corporate world. So uh, very sobering news there. You talked about the Federal Reserve, of course, in, in a new program called the Fed Now. Anytime I hear new and the Fed, I always get nervous. So so what's the deal with <laughs> the Fed now? It sounds like probably it's going to be another bad news scenario. Well, we talked briefly about this on your program in March a couple times because they announced they were going to launch it. The launch has happened. It will be fully completed by the end of this month. What is this? This is the faster payment system. Remember I was saying in March that they think this payment system is pretty slow, and I said, well, I've never had any problem buying groceries and paying for it or gas. Right, right. So this is the reason why they're doing this. They want instantaneous payments. It's not fast enough. That's the reason behind this. But the FedNow program... In reality, what it really does is it paves the way, it creates the road for the central bank digital currency to come out. Let me explain what this is not. They're not taking away our ability to use cash. Contrary to what people are saying in my industry, that is not the truth. I'm only going to share what I know that is best to my knowledge to be the truth. 
Um, what it is, though, it does pave the way for digital currency. In fact, uh, this is what some people are saying it will do. But currently, before I get into that quote, 57 organizations in the United States have adopted this new program, according to the Federal Reserve, as of June 29th. And the Fed Now program has reached out to more than 10,000 financial institutions in the United States to bring them into the fold of the Fed Now program because everybody's going to be required to transfer over to this. Doesn't mean your bank account's going to change, but this paves the way for digital currency. Here's a guy, Rich Checkin. He says, quote, I'm not a big fan of the Fed Now. I don't like this slippery slope. It leads to the evil of central bank digital currencies. He says there's 130 countries doing this. It's just a matter of time. By the 2030, there will be 15 digital currencies. I'm going to assume the United States is going to be in that yeah, group yeah. of 15 because we don't want to be last. Uh, but the, he's saying that it will cause total government control over the populace, loss of individual yeah. privacy. Uh, they can devalue your currency, shut off your currency, all kinds of things yep. What we talked before. The Payment is laid right now in the Fed Now program for that next step. Yeah, they're always building towards that level of control, uh, which is which. If you know anything about Scripture, if you pay any attention to end times theology, eschatology, you know that we're moving in that direction. Lo and behold, the headlines uh, confirm what God has been telling us for a while. So, so what kind of impact will all this craziness have on the gold and silver markets, David? Well, we're starting to see gold now getting ready. Breached 2000. We're in 1977. And uh, about a month ago, we were in the 1925, 1910 range. Uh, the greenback is peaked out. Now it's dropped 11%. The dollar's dropped 11% since October of last year. You're seeing gold rise. Gold is undervalued in a report from all the paper money that's been printed. So either the paper money's got to get pulled in, burned, and taken away. I'm talking about digital money now. Yep. Uh, the money that the Fed creates out of thin air. Or gold's got to go a lot higher. So call my company, learn about uh, getting some ideas and some uh, information on diversifying into gold and silver. Yeah, we're, we're, we kind of sound like uh, real estate people that way. Real estate says location, location, location. We say education, 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 which will lead you to diversification. And so that's why, like, the white paper, the good, the bad, and the ugly is so helpful. The coming bail-in to really understand, especially what the government's capable of, what they're building, not only here but around the world in terms of being able to control our finances. So that education is absolutely key. It's paramount for all of us as believers, whether you have a little or a lot. So what's the best way for them to get in contact and get that educational process going, David? Just simple. There's no obligation. Call us, 844-604-2575. Again, 844-604-2575 or landmarkgold.com. Excellent. As always, I appreciate your flexibility, my brother. Love you. Appreciate you. And uh, we'll talk to you on Monday. We'll have a normal Money Monday update next week. Okay, pal? Looking forward to it. Praying for my brother. All right. Thanks, pal. Love you, man. Talk to you. See you. Bye-bye. And that was uh, our good friend, David Fisher, who I met in 2016, by the way. This isn't like something that we just got to know each other. We've been talking about these things for a long time. So just a great source of information uh, at his website, LandmarkGold.com. This is Steve Noble on The Steve Noble Show. Tomorrow, Theology Thursday, talking about Christian nationalism. God willing, I'll talk to you again then. And like my dad always used to say, ever forward.
another program powered by the Truth Network.